Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, as a community, we want to care for each other, and that means really entering into each other's lives. We want to celebrate, and I think sometimes churches overemphasize celebration. I don't know if you notice that. It's like you come to church, and everybody's so happy, and they're all rejoicing, and you're like, okay, is that real? I mean, we all want to be there, right? We all want to celebrate and be happy and rejoice, but you know, life is full of tragedy and difficulties and hardships and loss and grief, and God is as powerful in the celebration as he is in the morning. And so I hope as we gather as a church that you'll get to know the people around you, find out their story, invite somebody to lunch this week. If you're going over to Parkside, hey, I may be over there too. You can pay for my lunch, and, and you can also take somebody else out uh, who might be around you. I think that's how we build community and we care for each other. And so let's, um, let's be focused on that together. And Joe, we love you, and I wanna pray for you and pray for your family. So Father, we just thank you for this church. We thank you, Father, that you care for us, and we know that in life there are challenges and losses, and so we pray for the Niemeyers. I also think of the Chamberlains, Father, and Karen's passing. Lord, we grieve as we lose people that we love, that we've cared for. And so, Father, would you fill us up? Would you empower us that we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope? But Lord, we need your hope. We need your presence. Meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we're kind of building on this series we've been in, uh, focusing on identity and calling, and we're calling it Idols, which is the sin beneath the sin. Now, what we're about to do in the church calendar is enter the season of Lent, and if you know anything about Lent, it's a time to reflect on the most encouraging aspects of life, which is our sinfulness. It's actually the aspect of our, our life that we tend to ignore But Lent is a time to examine our hearts. Hey, what's really going on in me? Where am I tempted? Where am I not following Christ? Where am I giving in to the temptations of the world or the flesh or the devil? And so over the next few weeks, what we're gonna be doing is really looking at the idols that dominate our lives. And so the first place I wanna turn to, if you wanna grab a Bible and join in with us, is really defining what idolatry is. And we're gonna start with Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one is the gospel to the Gentile. Romans chapter two is the gospel to the Jews. And in Romans one, Paul lays out this argument that God has made his presence known, his truth is known throughout creation, his eternal power, his divine nature. But what we do is though we know the truth about God, we suppress it. Because see, if I identify with the truth about God, then that means I've got to surrender to it. I've got to give myself over to it. And so the human heart has this tendency to suppress God. And when you suppress God, there's a vacuum and creation starts to fill up that vacuum. Something fills it in. That's what Paul's arguing for in Romans 1. So if you guys want to grab a Bible, let's turn there. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse." 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, you are here. And Father, we are here. And so as we are here together, Lord, would you guide us and teach us, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. We need your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, idolatry, I don't think it's a category that we resonate with in our culture. Most people think of idolatry, you think of something maybe in the Far East, some Buddhist temple where they have statues. That's not about us. And yet what scripture repeats over and over again is idolatry is alive and well in our culture, in our nation, in our hearts, and also within the church. And you see this biblical story throughout Genesis to Revelation that when it starts off with Adam and Eve, there's a temptation. And if you remember, the temptation is, hey, we're gonna be like God. Meaning, I'm gonna exchange God for myself. And that's the first temptation. It's the replacing of God with myself and myself becomes the idol and I stand in the place of God. And as the story of scripture starts to unfold, you see idolatry taking place. The one that we know the best is the story of the golden calf. God had just rescued Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember that story? Miraculous, I mean amazing. Some of you are thinking if I saw that I would always worship God, right? I'd be so excited going through the Red Sea and all of those Miracles, and yet what happens is Moses goes up on this mountaintop and people start saying, hey, where's Moses? Where'd that guy go? And what they did is they took all the gold and silver that God had given them in their travels and they created this golden calf. And Aaron says, hey, here is your God, the God that rescued you out of Egypt. So quickly the heart is prone to reject God and to find something of comfort, significance, value. And the rest of the story of the New Testament, Israel's story through Chronicles and Kings, it's about kings that come along and some of them are good kings, right? And they address the idols of the nation. They're like, guys, don't trust in the political powers. Don't give your heart to those things. And so what they do is they tear down the idols and then other kings come along and say, no, trust in the political powers. Trust in the gods of the nations. And that's what the prophets are railing against. You wonder why the prophets are so angry because they're addressing the idols in the hearts of God's people, and they're saying these things that are destroying you. They're dehumanizing you, and they're causing you to be transformed, not in the image of God, but in the likeness and the image of those idols. And ultimately, in the story of Scripture, it breaks the heart of God. Idolatry breaks God's heart because he is jealous for your affections, your love, and your devotion. Idolatry is not something in the past it's not for those very simple cultures out there. It is a dominant, pernicious reality in our own hearts today. And the question is, are you aware of those things that quickly can replace God in your own life? That's what we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks. Hey, a few quotes. I read a number of books this week, not completely, but just kind of skimmed through them. And a few quotes that are incredibly helpful. One is by a theologian named William Stringfellow, and here's what he says. 
Idolatry is pervasive in every time and culture. No less now than yesterday. No less in Washington than in Gomorrah. Indeed, it might be argued that the contemporary Western man is more enslaved to idols than his supposedly less civilized counterpart, precisely because he is presumably less ignorant about the world in which he lives and because his favorite idols are the familiar realities of life, things like religion, work, money, status, sex, patriotism. Bruce Ellis Benson, who is a professor at Wheaton College, he captured it this way. Not only are we capable of creating idols and worshiping them, we are likewise capable of being almost and completely blind to their existence. Yet worse, we often are quite capable of providing a defense and sometimes remarkably a respectable defense for why my particular idols are worthy and even orthodox. Our recognition of idols for what they are is often selective. I mean, most of us have a reasonably well-developed idol detector when it comes to the idols of others. And yet, it's probably safe to say that all of us have our own particular repertoire of idols. We tend to see what is dominating somebody else's life, but we're blind to what's affecting us. And so exactly what is an idol? Let's jump back in Romans chapter 1 and kind of follow Paul's argument because he's saying that in creation, God's created us in a way, he's created the world in a way in which the truth about God is known. Now, we may argue against that. I'm not gonna jump into that, but what he's saying is there's a reality of God's truth that we suppress. If we suppress it, it's because it's known. And we suppress it, and when you suppress God, something functionally takes God's place. It's not as if we worship God or we worship nothing. What it's describing is we worship God or we're gonna worship something else. And Paul is saying the creature, the creation, it finds its way into the place of God and it becomes our place of comfort instead of God being our comforter. And you just see that in the Old Testament, right? Come under my wings. I'm your mother. I'm, I want to care for you. Safety, approval, power, all of those things. Instead of coming to the Father, we run to the world. And we find these functional, counterfeit gods. And so look at verse 18 in Romans chapter 1 as he unpacks this. Two things are taking place. We're suppressing the truth about God. And then we replace God with something in creation. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what is that unrighteousness? It's suppressing truth. That God's made himself known and instead of receiving it, submitting to it, our desire, and realize this is not talking about those people. It's talking about me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there are times I wanna suppress it, right? I don't want to submit to it. I don't want to believe it. I want to trust in it. God, I want to reject you and push you out of my life. That's what he's addressing. And so what is that truth? Verse 19. For what can be known about God, notice it's plain. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible qualities, his attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So as you look at creation, it says his eternal qualities, his divine power, we have a sense that there is something that has created all things. 
And, and then he goes on, he says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but instead their hearts, their, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Instead of giving thanks and honoring God, we suppress God. And the idea is when we don't honor God, which means to give him the weight that he deserves, and when we don't give thanks to him, what we're saying is, God, thanks, but I don't need you. I'm all right. Right? We become God in our own eyes, just like Adam and Eve. They step up in that position. They put self in the place of God. I can determine right and wrong. God, thank you for creating all things. We don't need you anymore. We got it. And we suppress the truth, and when we suppress the truth, something's gonna come back up. The, the question for you is, are you, are you aware of the things that are replacing God? Because this is not simply true for those who do not believe in God. It's just as true for us who believe in God. Just go to Galatians chapter two. You see it in Peter's heart. That something takes the place of God, and when it does, it becomes an idol in our heart that directs our behavior, our actions, and our thoughts. And the reality is what he's describing is we have to order our loves. That the creator comes first. And it doesn't mean creation's bad. The stuff that becomes idols in your life, they're often the greatest things, the good things. Because we think those things can meet the fundamental needs of our life. Like relationships, money, success, approval, power, control, those things we replace God for because we think they're sufficient to care for us, to love us. And we see this theme of ordering your heart throughout the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the first of the 10 commandments? You guys probably know all your commandments. I'm sure you got those at home and you've memorized them. But the first of the 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse two. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, What's law one? Worship me. I'm your rescuer. I'm your redeemer. Have no other gods. The reality is you cannot break commandments two through 10 unless you go through commandment one. You break commandment one and there's lying, there's cheating, there's deceiving, right? Because what happens is when we lie, we set up an idol, another God in my heart, and I say, I've got to lie to get it. And the reality is we don't trust that God's enough, and so we lie, we deceive. Why? Because there's something we want, and we don't think God's good enough to get us there. What he's describing is the right ordering of our hearts. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest, notice, and the first. We have to order our hearts. Matthew six thirty-two for the Gentiles... They seek after these things, but your heavenly Father, he knows what you need. And because of that, verse 33, so seek first. Order your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. As those created in the image of God, we have to set ourselves on the person of God. Tim Keller in his book, and if you're looking for a book on this theme, it's called Counterfeit Gods. It's an excellent book, and he says this, what is idolatry? Tim Keller says, what is idolatry? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. It's replacing God with something else. And see, often we don't realize what's taking the place of God in our hearts unless we're willing to examine our lives. 
I mean, how many of you at the end of the day, you examine your loves, you examine your attachments, that as you're lying down in bed, you think about the day. Often we pray forward, right? We kind of pray forward. God, here's what's coming. Would you kind of fix it and organize it? Do you know we need to also be praying backwards? That as you lay down at night, you start thinking about what did I attach my heart to? God, what was trying to step into the place of who you are in my life? What was trying to give me comfort when you offered me comfort? Father, what was trying to give me control? And so when I want control, I rage at people. Anybody here do that? That's kind of our culture. I mean, the national pastime is the rage against anybody who disagrees with you. What is that? It's called control. God, I see the world is so out of control, I need to be enraged and angry so that I can get it back in control because I don't trust that you're in control. Do you feel that? What's anxiety? Anxiety is God, hey, this is how the future needs to go. You're not on the right track, Jesus. Get on the right track, and anxiety's saying, hey, God, you don't have my best interest in mind, and so I'm fear projecting into the future. And so we set our hearts on something that gives us comfort, it gives us approval, it gives us power, it gives us control. And if we're not willing to examine, which means sometimes you gotta take the time just to reflect, where am I? Right, just like God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? I want your whole life, your whole heart, your whole affections, your whole devotion, but something is settling in your heart and it's taking my place. Guys, do you feel that weight? I do. I feel that. It resonates with me. And see, why is this so important? Because human beings were created for purpose. Human beings were not created to live. They were created to live for something. And whatever you live for becomes your idol. You live for approval, approval becomes your idol. You live for beauty, beauty becomes your idol. You live for success, success becomes your idol. And what happens is it starts to do something to us. And there's two types of idols we're gonna discover. There are heart idols, but there's also cultural idols. Evergreen has an idol. And you know when you see somebody that fits it. That's an evergreener. They fit the culture of evergreen. And you see that in companies, right? That's a company girl. That's a company man right there. That's a Democrat. That's a Republican. They wear it. They carry it. It becomes their identity. Don't you see that in life? That when we take something on and we put it in the place of God, it shapes us and molds us. It shapes what we like. It shapes what we hate. It directs our emotions. It directs our day because it's our God. And so we have to be willing to examine our life. So let's jump back into Romans 1. Paul's warning us we're prone to idolatry. And let's start noticing what happens when an idol starts to take the place of God in your life, how it starts to work into our hearts. And three things happen. It deceives us, enslaves us, and over time it begins to destroy us. Meaning it makes us less and less like God desires and more and more like the image of what we're worshiping. So hear me on this. It deceives us. We don't think we have a problem. You know, Jesus talked about greed more than anything else in Scripture. None of you have ever walked in my office and said, I got a greed problem. I haven't either. Why? Because we're deceived. The nature of idolatry, Ezekiel says, is it puts blinders over our faith, face. And we don't realize we're walking around like this, right? Right? Oh, I see fine. Yep, everything's good. 
I got a clear vision of myself, clear vision of life. No, you don't. There's an idol in front of you. And unless God addresses it and takes it out, we're not able to worship him fully and completely. It deceives us. First thing it does is it deceives us. Watch this, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Instead, notice, what an idol does is it, they became futile in their thinking. What that looks like is verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Our enemy is the deceiver. He's the father of lies. Idols deceive us. I don't have a problem. It's called addiction. You're addicted to sin. It's okay. Everybody around you is too. Do you realize you're addicted to sin? Our, our nature is addicted to making idols out of things in creation. And the one thing that an addict doesn't see is how it's affecting their life, how it's affecting their relationships. You've been there, probably seen that. Some of you have grown up in alcoholic families. Or some of you may be struggling with, with pornography. Hey, it's not a problem. It's, it's time to time, right? And what do you do? You start explaining it away. I've got a lot of stress. If my husband only, if my wife only, I, I know I buy a lot of stuff, but listen, I, I give a lot of money away. We start to explain, and what's happening there is deception. We're being deceived. I think of Alcoholics Anonymous and the first law of the 12 steps. It says, we admitted that we are powerless. And you could fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be alcohol, guys. We're powerless over work. We're powerless over the beauty of our body. We're powerless over healthy children that love us. Right? Your kids fall apart. Oh, man, you're falling apart right after them. You fill in the blank. You are powerless. You think you have power. That's the problem. Paul, I, I appreciate Paul in Romans 7 for just being honest in church for a moment. Paul in Romans 7, 7 he says this. For I delight in the law of God, this is Romans 7, verse 22, and in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, which means there's another God, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he looks at himself, he goes, man, what a wretched man I am. And here's the question, who can deliver me? Addicts say, I can I'm okay, I'm powerful enough, I'm smart enough. Paul says, listen, I can't do it. Verse 25, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I think if Paul had to rewrite the 12 steps, his first step would be this. We admitted that we were powerless over sin and we need a deliverer. That's the first step. There's a reason why Jesus is your savior, because you're constantly running to false ones. Can we just be honest? We run to false saviors all the time. In life, comfort me, help me, make it right, make it good. It's worship. And we're powerless over those things unless we surrender to the power of Christ. 
Christ is our deliverer. So the first thing that happens is, is, is they deceive us. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. What's the lie in your heart that says, you have to have this or you will not be happy? I cannot lose this or I will not have a life. That's the deceit of idolatry. And then, and then second, not only do they deceive us, but idols over time, this happens over time, they start to enslave us, meaning we start to become like them. We start to obey them. And you see this in verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they neither honored him as God. That's the problem. We're not honoring, giving him the place he deserves, nor giving him gratitude. But their thinking became futile. And then second, their foolish hearts started to, what happens over time? When you're not worshiping, it becomes dark, right? My heart does. It's not a big deal. Quenching the Holy Spirit. God's convicting me. I, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow, right? And then over time, your heart becomes like a heart of stone. Have you been there? Cold to God. Cold to his commandments. And then he says, claiming to be wise, they become, they become fools. That what we worship, it starts to do something to you. It starts to impact you and affect you. And again, you're gonna see this all throughout the Old Testament. One example of this is Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verses four through eight, it says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of their hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, they don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. But watch this, verse eight those who make them over time will become like them and so do all who trust in them slowly over time. You see it's starting to affect the way you think, the way you behave, the way you react, what you value, what you pursue, what you do when you wake up in the morning. What's affecting you when you wake up? You think you're just kind of going along, right? Nothing's impacting me. No, there's an idol. I gotta grab that phone. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find out what's going on, right? And there's some terrible things going on in our world today. Can we just be honest about the violence in our community? I mean, the heartbreak in Turkey, the violence that's going on in our streets, I mean, that stuff weighs on me. I don't know if you guys feel that. And, and I don't immediately go to solutions. I go to my father and say, Lord, have mercy. Church, one of the most important things you can do is just grieve for the sin and the brokenness in the world. Don't try to evaluate it and don't try to explain it away. Jesus, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Feel the weightiness and realize that we don't have the power in our nation. That doesn't mean we don't get involved, we don't engage, but I need a power greater than me to come and to heal me so that I can be the kind of person to go out and heal the world. We need God's intervention. And what happens is we become like what we worship. Greg Beale, who was one of my professors, wrote a book called We Become What We Worship, and here's what he said. What people revere they resemble either for ruin or restoration. And in verse 25, he says, when we exchange the truth of God, we worship and we serve, meaning those things start to enslave us. And again, we see that in other people's lives, right? You see it when somebody's too committed to their work. You see how they become like their company. They become the values of their company. Or they become like their community. They become like their political aspirations. And it changes everything about them. Because when an idol takes supremacy, it has influence over everything. You know why? Because it's in your heart. 
And the heart is the center out of which we live and we breathe and we pursue life. It deceives us, and over time what happens is it begins to enslave us, and then God becomes less real in your life. Have you felt that? Have you walked in addiction for a long period of time, and God's power becomes less and less and less and less real? And the power of that idol becomes more. I can't give up alcohol. I can't give up money. I can't give up work. I can't give up sex. It's too important to me. And we start to believe that that thing has the power that God has and should have in our lives. We're enslaved. And I don't know if some of you are there right now. Listen, I think everybody here understands that. And there is grace. And Jesus has the power to free us if in humility we just admit it. We just own it. Idols enslave. And then finally, verse 18, idols, eventually they destroy us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodless, ungod, I'm, I'm gonna get this word right, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. I know we love talking about the wrath of God. Right, don't we? In church and our culture, we love that. But you don't wanna worship a God that isn't angry. Just as my kids don't wanna be with a parent who doesn't get angry. When I get angry, it's because there's stuff that is influencing my kids that I, I don't wanna see that impacting them. And God is angry about the violence he sees. God is angry about injustice. He, he's angry about brokenness. He's angry about lostness. He's angry about things that destroy his kids. Because God loves. And when you love, anger in its righteousness is a, an, an emotion of protection. It shows us what we're passionate about. And God is angry, and Scripture says he's jealous for your love because he's created you for him and you will not be satisfied until you come and you surrender it to him. And, and what he's describing here in verse 25, here is how God's judgment shows up in our life today. Notice, therefore God gave them up. You want to build your life on sex? Go build it. And then come back to me when you find out where it takes. You wanna build your life on money? Okay, God hands us over. Have you ever been, felt like you've been handed over? God just kind of, okay, I love you. My Holy Spirit is here. I'm pursuing you, but I'm gonna give you over to that. And you know what happens over time is you start to become dry and dead inside. You feel that? And God hands us over. The worst thing that sometimes we can get is the answer to the prayer that we shouldn't get. And there are things we desire. Now, why is that? Because our hearts are idolatrous and we don't know what we need. We think we know what we need to overcome, right? To have power over the things in our life. He's the deliverer. He's the savior. He's my God. I need to surrender my life to him. You know, there's this interesting word in verse 24. And I never tell, I never try to correct how the Bible's translated because I'm not that smart. But this word lust, do you see that in verse 24? It's a very important word in the New Testament. In the Greek, I'm gonna teach you a little Greek here. Are you guys okay with this? Okay, I got your permission, so here we go. It's this word epithymia. And it doesn't mean lust like sexual lust. Don't, don't read that. What it means is a normal desire that becomes an over-desire. It's a normal desire for something, approval. That's okay, it's okay, we're human. 
We need approval. We need love. But what happens when approval becomes the center and on the throne of your heart? You live in fear of being rejected. And there's people in your life you have to have their approval or I don't feel like I am myself. Overdesires. Sex can become an overdesire. Sex is a good thing. What happens when it's an overdesire? It starts running life, doesn't it? It starts saying, God's keeping something from me. God, you are not good. I cannot worship you and know you because you're keeping something good. And what's happening is that over-desire for something is pushing God out of your life. It's dethroning him and it's directing the course of your life. What Paul's describing here is God hands us over to what we think we want. And that's why just following what we think we want is so dangerous because we're not the deliverer. And often we don't, know, we don't know what we need. You know, over the next few weeks, we're gonna be unpacking different types of idols. Because throughout scripture, listen, we're not the only ones. I mean, Abraham, Abraham struggled with idolatry. Peter, Paul struggled with idolatry. We see it throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're gonna be looking at different individuals who struggled in different ways. And I wanna leave you with this as we close How do we begin to detect our idols and destroy them? Well, idols work on this word achieve. The gospel works on the basis of receive. So just think about this for a moment. Idols work on the basis of receive. So if approval is your idol, you have to achieve approval. If money is your idol, you have to serve it, don't you? And what money does is sends out laws in your life. Hey, you're not okay unless you have X, Y. Your anxieties, your hearts, your desires, they get all rolled up into it. And what you're doing is you're achieving an identity based around something that's created. You're achieving security, right? Through something that's created. And if it's created, here's the danger. Can it be lost? Can it be stolen? Can it be taken? That's the heart of anxiety is when you make something your God and you lose it. That's frightening. That's why people commit suicide. Because what they're depending on, what they love, what they're holding on to as their life is taken from them. And so Jesus says what we need to do is to surrender our lives to him. The one that finds life has to lose it. But the one that finds me in the gospel finds life, right? And so idols say achieve. What's saying in your heart right now? Achieve. Achieve, achieve, or you're not enough, or you're not good enough, or you're not secure. The gospel says, God says, receive, receive, receive. Your identity comes from me. Your significance comes from me. Your security, it's not outside those doors. It comes from him. Control in this world, you're not gonna get it. And there's nobody who's gonna come up and provide it for you unless you're willing to find it in him. Meaning, purpose, significance. You have a God who is generous. And James says, all good things come from the Father of lights. He doesn't change like shifting shadows and he doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't matter what sin you're walking in, what difficulties you're in. If you're just willing to surrender and say, Father, I need you, and I don't know where you are with that. What, what do you feel like you cannot be delivered from? Maybe today the first step is, you know, after we receive communion, you need to come up and just have 
our prayer team pray over you and admit there's something in my life I need to be delivered from. I am in fear of. And for some of you, it could be the past. There's things you're carrying you don't want to address. You don't want anybody else to know what you've been through. But when you walk in the lie that I can't be accepted because of what I've gone through, you're enslaved. Do you feel that weight? And that enslavement destroys relationships. It destroys your vision of God. God wants to give us freedom. And freedom comes when you are fully known, fully seen, fully accepted, and fully loved by the God who created you because Jesus Christ died to cover your sin and forgiveness, give you forgiveness and restoration through the power of the Spirit. Hey, is that what you want today? Do you want to be set free? The simple step is just humility. It's confession. God, here's what's in my life. Show me, Lord, what it means to trust in you. Hey, if you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, I, I want you to take that opportunity. I know I didn't grab them, so I'm gonna have to go pick one up, but they're available in the back. They're also available up front. We want to receive communion together. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much. Communion's an opportunity, a time for reflection. I don't know what God stirs up in you as, as you listen but the Holy Spirit is at work and, and maybe it has nothing to do with what I said and that's awesome. It doesn't have to be about this message but the Holy Spirit could be working in your heart with what you carried in this morning and the question is, are we willing just to surrender it to him? To confess our sins, say, Father, I need to deliver, I need your presence, I need your power in my life and then after a, a period of time, reflection, we're gonna receive the elements together so let's, Let's spend a little time in reflective prayer speaking to our Father who loves us. Father, who will deliver us? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took, he 
took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, Take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. So this cup, it represents the new covenant, the relationship that is established in his blood. Let us receive it together. <laughs> 